Welcome to another episode of the Truth We High podcast. Today's guest is Olivia Nunn, also known as Lieutenant Colonel Nunn. She was commissioned as an ROTC military graduate through Radford University's ROTC program in 2001. Lieutenant Colonel Nunn has served in command and staff positions within the United States Army, including three combat deployments to Iraq. Lieutenant Colonel Nunn has served as an official Army spokesperson, executive officer to the Chief of Army Public Affairs, and as a lead strategic communication planner for the Office of the Chief of Army Public Affairs. Her current position, she serves as the Director of Communication for the U.S. Army Soldier for Life. Take a listen to her story as it is going to be a powerful one. Hey, Olivia, how's it going? Good. How are you today? Good, good. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're on here today. Um, for the listeners, I've, gosh, the last time I saw Olivia was, uh, actually, yes, Olivia was, um, what, over 15 years ago? 20 years ago? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Very long time. But I recognize her as soon as I saw her at a veteran event where we all came together and small businesses were there and just networking. And it was like, hey, I know her. But um, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? I know the last time I saw you, we were lieutenants or captains. And then, yeah. And then now you're a lieutenant colonel, which is amazing. So, yes, go ahead and, and tell us. Yeah, so I am an active duty U.S. Army officer, and I currently serve as the director of communication for U.S. Army Soldier for Life. And in my previous experience in the Army, I was a chemical officer, so that's actually how I knew you and how I met you. We were in 4th Infantry Division together at Fort Hood, Texas. Yeah. Yeah, great place. Great (laughs) place. And I actually mean that. I really did enjoy my time at Texas. Yes. No, me too. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been at Soldier for Life for about 18 months now. I really love what I do. I am all things social media, website, podcast hosting. I also serve as the lead for Women Initiative Diversity Inclusion. So um, lots of cool, fun stuff. Uh, Cannot say that my days are dull because they're not. They're full of fun and excitement. And I get to... Uh, meet some really cool people and organizations that really want to make the veteran space a better place. That's really awesome that you get to do that. I know that well, chemical branch was, that was different and challenging and frustrating at times, but um, for you to be able to move on to the public affairs space and be able to still be involved with soldiers and, and help them out. I think that's, I don't know. It's like uh, fulfilling. It is, you know, I know a lot of people, you know, we know a lot of people in the chemical branch that did not like their time in the army, especially being a chemo. And let's just face it, right. The chemo is a redheaded stepchild of the, of the staff. (laughs) And And, you know, in all honesty, like I cannot complain about my company grade time as a chemo. Mm -hmm. I truly learned so much about the army. I was given opportunities that I don't think I would have gotten anywhere else. You know, so 
young women today get to join the army and they could be anything that they want to be. They want to be armor. They want to be infantry. The sky's the limit. There's nothing that they cannot do simply by the gender. Mm -hmm. But when I came into the army in 2001, that wasn't the case. I couldn't do those things. I couldn't be an armor officer. That's really what I wanted to do. I mean, how, how cool would it be to ride around this big, massive hulking piece of armor and blow things up, right? Yeah, that's but I, cool. But it, I couldn't do that. And right. the Army's all about the combat arms field. It's all about learning to be shaped and develop in those key leadership positions within those branches. But I didn't get to do that. So I believe being a chemical officer, that was the closest thing for me. Um, I didn't let me being a chemo stop me from achieving uh, my potential. You know, I made sure that my bosses knew that, hey, don't put me in a corner. I'm not going to be just the chemo that does your unit status report, the USR. I'm going to be a value member of the team. You know, short of being an armor guy, I, I'm your I'm your gal. I want to learn it. I want to learn how to run the talk. I want to learn your lingo. And I want to be effective. And so I really got to see parts of the army that I don't think I would have had I not done that. Right. And that's so important to share, I believe, because I know when I was a chemo, I wanted company command and I had to make sure that I voiced it. I had to keep fighting for it. I had to interview for it. It wasn't just given to me. I had to actually do something about it and make sure like you not to be put in a corner. I wanted to be there and I wanted to be in front of soldiers. And thankfully, I got that opportunity and I got to deploy with them. But if you don't stand up for yourself, they're just going to have you do just running around doing odds and ends or working in different, you know, different jobs. But you have to you have to it's important to stand your ground and say, this is what I want to do. I'm not going to just sit around and, you know, make coffee or whatever the case is. But, yeah. So, um Right. What other things have you experienced? Uh, well, I had the opportunity to deploy three times to Iraq. I uh, got to learn a lot about myself, about my teammates. Um, you know, and I think, yes, there's a lot of negativity that comes with deployment, but there's a lot of positivity that comes with that as well. It really teaches you how to, to really look inside yourself and how to be better and do better. And at the same time, to really rely on your teammates in a way, in a level that I don't think you really know and Mm. understand until you're in those situations. Um, I got to truly understand why Mm. America is so amazing. It's the little things. When you don't get the freedom to choose what you get to do every single day, um, because your country or your your life is oppressed by by a dictator, by a regime, that's eye-opening. Uh, the things that you take for granted, the choices that you get to have. It was really an eye-opening experience to see how um, very, very fortunate we are in the life that we get to live. So I I really cannot complain from that aspect um, and really did enjoy the time that I have. Um, But, you know, those three deployments brought me closer to my family in many ways. It, It strengthened my marriage. And um, it afforded me the opportunity to um, meet some really, really cool people in other units. And so I really enjoyed that time. Um, I didn't miss being away from home for sure. I mean, taking it, being able to 
um, jump in your own car, go to the mall or go to the movies, you know, all those things that I missed, uh, being able to eat what you wanted to, I really missed sushi when I was deployed. Um, you know, like nothing beats them really, really You're good. So, right about that. so, but yeah. And then, <laughs> and then from there, you know, I, uh, got to go to West Point. That was our next assignment. Uh, my husband, Lawrence, wanted to go back to his alma mater and be an instructor in the, in the uh, Department of Systems Engineering. And I got to go there and do actually my first public affairs job. So that was really cool. It was exciting. Um, very tough in many aspects, but very rewarding. I got to work with cadets every single day. I got to mentor them and develop them. Um, yeah, it was just a fun and exciting time. And then we were there for three years. And by the time we left there, we left with an addition to our family. We had our first child as we were PCSing from West Point. So it was it was awesome. I really enjoyed our time there. And it's, it was a great, great learning experience and a great That's place awesome. to raise I do family. hear a lot of good things about West Point, just being able to be with the cadets. What a, what a great thing to do, to be surrounded by them and just teach them and give them your you know, words of wisdom and just experience and all that, that way they can, they can hear it straight from the source. That's such a, that's such a huge impact. So that's, that's awesome. I love that. Um, so what, um, on your deployments, I've spoken to, well, probably just men about this, but your view on reintegration how i know when we go over there you know we we still we're looking after our soldiers but when you come back you got to be back and be a, a mom and then you still have to be a leader and you still have to take care of you know the bills and it's just all these different things that you have to worry about before what was your take on that so i think for me one of the one of the easier challenges, not a challenge, I'd say, I think I, it wasn't as complex for me because I didn't have kids at the time. Mm -hmm. It was reintegration of just Lawrence and I into our family life. Mm -hmm. And Lawrence and I deployed together twice. So our reintegration okay. was a little different. So okay. I deployed in OIF-1 and he was there at the same time. We weren't in the same places. So it was more of, I think, because it was the first deployment, people really didn't know what it was going to be like. We were just excited to be home because we had gotten engaged right before we deployed. And when we came back, it was all about jumping into wedding planning and, and getting married. And our second deployment, which ended up being 15 months long for us, it we were there together. We are actually on the same fob. So for us, it was just more of, can we get back to our normal life? Can we get back to the things that we want to do and enjoy? Mm -hmm. And so the, our challenges were more of, um, what is the everyday new norm for us? Mm -hmm. is what we kind of had to go through and and at by that point because we were already married and we were already ha you know had our own life we were far from our family that wasn't a challenge per se it was literally just what is our new norm and um you know how, how do we go through that and i think really for both of us we we're just both excited to be home just yeah to not have to worry about mortars or ieds or those stressful type of environments it was just nice to be home not right. have to wear your full kit um, mm -hmm. not have to worry about <laughs> you know taking your weapon everywhere and flipping out like oh my gosh where's my weapon you know that that kind of stuff that was a big stressor wasn't it yes. god forbid you leave it anywhere you had to sleep with that thing 
and then like when you come home the first two weeks you freak out you're like oh my god and you're like oh wait I don't need it here <laughs> so true I still what? randomly had the nightmare of like oh my god where is it oh wait I haven't had that in I don't know how long I you know I don't know why it reoccurs but it does it really Those does little things they stay with you forever it's just because you were so used to it day in and day out for a whole year or you know over a year right um has it so was it a little bit easier to be able to talk to him about any kind of uh just you know feelings that you were having while you were down there because I know sometimes we don't know we don't really talk to our soldiers about our personal feelings and when we come home we don't really have anybody to talk to talk to about how we felt when we deployed so do you feel like it was just it was a little bit easier to talk to Lawrence about it because you guys were both there and you understood yes I think that was a definitely an advantage where he understood where I was coming from you know it's not like I had to go into details because he understood emotionally and physically and mentally what I was going through and that was definitely a plus but on the flip side there's an there's an added stress um Sometimes, you know, ignorance is bliss. When you really don't know what your spouse is going through, you really, while you can be worried about them and you stress about them, you really don't know that level of stress. Mm -hmm. So when we were there together, I knew what missions he was on. So I would, I would be watching the, the, the standard operating picture, you know, looking at the screen and wondering, you know, watching his icon, his truck icon move and listening to all the reports that were coming in. Cause I worked in the division cell. So I was able to hear everything that was going on and making Mm -hmm. sure, Hey, is that anywhere near my husband's convoy? Um, you know, and that's an added level of stress because you understand what that really means. Um, but you know, I don't know. It's a double-edged sword. It was really nice to know, but at the same time, did I really need to know that? that yeah I can't I can't imagine I um my husband and I were both deployed but we I went six months ahead of him and his fob was about a 20 minute drive and so I didn't get to see or do or I didn't get to know what he was doing but I did get to visit once in a while but um he you know he kind of he talked about it a little bit but I think towards the end when he, he lost four soldiers, it was such a, I didn't know how to, I mean, how to, I know he's not okay, but does he want to talk about it? Or, you know, he just had to do his own thing and he secluded himself a little bit. So it was, it was, uh, it was, that was, I think that was the hardest part. It was, I knew where he was, I knew what he was doing, but when that happened, it was like, how do you, I don't know. I didn't know how to deal with it. So, um, yeah, I guess you're right, because I don't know if I would have been able to sit in the cell and, and watch everything he was doing, because they were doing, and they were doing a whole lot more than what we were, and that just, uh, that would have been nerve-wracking for me, but I think by you being able to do that, I guess it was just kind of, um, I guess it made, did it make you feel a little bit better, because you were able to, you were able to see it, and you you understood what was going on? Yeah, yes, I felt like yeah. if something did happen, because I was there, I would be able to like get to him. Like in my mind, I rationalized if he did get into, into an event where he was going to get medevaced, I could be there quickly because I was in country. Right. Um, that's how I kind of rationalized it. And that's kind of how I got through the situation. Like if it was going to happen, I could get there quickly. 
Right. Oh my but, goodness. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's it was good and bad. Definitely lots of stories to tell the grandkids one day when that happens. Um, yeah, good stuff. So how has it been being dual military before the kids and then after? So I, so I never really understood in a full emotional state of what it really meant to be a parent being deployed. I mean, I felt bad for my service, you know, for those that served with me and those that I had the honor of leading, but I really didn't understand what that really meant until I became a parent myself. And fortunately for me, um, because we are field grade parents, if you will, mm. I didn't have to face that reality of having to leave my kids to be deployed. Um, I did have the potential of getting assigned to Korea instead of coming to Soldier for Life. I was supposed to actually go to Korea for a one year hardship tour. And when that orders was supposed to come down, my son was 18 months old at the time. And it, it devastated me. Like I oh. couldn't believe that I was going to miss a year of his life. Yeah. It was the best choice for our family instead of, you know, taking taking my kids for two years and then leaving, separating them from dad for two years just didn't sound better. So, you know, right. the least disruptive was rip the band-aid, I go for a year and then come back. In the mm -hmm. end, that we didn't have to do that, right? The soldier for life ended up being a, a better option. But mm -hmm. it was the real first time I think that emotionally that I understood what that sacrifice is like. Like, how tough is that? Um, yeah. And man, it's a whole new level of respect for for service members that have had to leave their kids. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So now how do you juggle it? I think for us, it's a lot of calendar planning. Like, literally every night at dinner, we pull out our calendars and we talk about the game plan tomorrow. Like, literally it's what time are we wake when are we waking up when are we working out who's getting what kid ready um what's um you know what's the game plan who's going to drop the kids off at what school because my son goes to daycare and my daughter goes uh, to elementary mm -hmm. so who's dropping off who and then when is pickup time what events are they doing what are you doing at work is there any other doctor's appointments like literally it is by the hour, we're running through every single day to make sure that we know what the next day's like. And so we do that at at the very detailed level, but then we do that at the very broad overview level. Mm -hmm. Hey, what's going on this time frame in this season in our life? What are the things that we're going to lean in on? Like who who gets priority here? You know, is your career the priority or is my or is his career the priority? You know, who's going to be traveling more during this month, you know, him or I, and how do we balance that? And do we bring in reinforcement of um, my mother-in-law and sister-in-law who live, you know, very near us? And mm -hmm. the, the really cool thing is my sister lives with me. So my sister and my nephew, who's the same age as my son, live in my house as well. So, you know, we all lean in on each other, like who's doing what? And we have to do that all the time because when we don't, it gets so stressful and then, you know, and then what's stressing, it, it comes the whole, well, it's your fault. Well, no, it's not your fault. Um, and I think the best advice that I ever got about balancing it all was instead of looking at these, these 
items in your life that you had to constantly juggle like this, this beautiful synergy of juggling that instead look at it as of give and take what in this season, what are you going to focus in on? And then when do you take the back seat and you do that together? And when, when I saw that in that type of mental picture, it made balancing the stressors in life so much easier. Wow. That's, it's, I love hearing that, especially with the communication and just sitting down and talking about it because it gets so stressful. I don't know how I did it for 14 years before I finally was like, I need to get a nanny. I I thought I could do it all. And his, and it it, it is difficult because you're trying to figure out, okay, who's not whose career is more important, but you know, what, what are the plans? Like, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but he knew he wanted, you know, we took, we were in company command at the same time and that, I don't even know how we did it. And then he went on to be the S3XO and then he went on, he wanted to be a battalion commander and now brigade commander. So it was like, okay, you knew what you wanted. I didn't really know. So I guess I'll just, I'll be the one to get the kids and if they're sick I'm the one who has to leave early and I'm the one who has to take it was really it was stressful and I I never knew how other dual military families went and hired an au pair I was like how do they do that why do they do that you know and you so you think about it and that not really judge, but it was because I was so stubborn. I was like, I could do it all. I could do it. I'll get the kids. I'll do this. I'll do it. I don't need anybody. And then when I took the XO position, I was like, oh, she, my commander was, she was tough. And I knew she was not going to give me any leeway. <laughs> so I had to right. get a nanny. And I, it broke my heart because I, I was the one who was taking care of the kids. I didn't need anyone else to do it. And so that. That it, it is rough, and, and when you look at other families, you're like, how, how in the world? And you know, some. And then I did have, I just, I did decide to take the back seat and, and let him um, focus on his career more because he, that's just, I, I knew that's what was the best thing at the time. But that is, it's, it's difficult, and, and I think communication is so key because there was a, a lot of times where there was the blame game. You know, well, how come you don't have to take off of work and I do <laughs> just right. little things. So I think that's so important to, to tell other young soldiers you want to have a family because I know that some soldiers don't. Well, when is it? When is the best time to have a family? They're really it's when you're ready. Really? I don't know. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. You know, so I do a lot of mentoring and I will tell you, it might be a little old school and it is probably more of a product of the era in which I came into the army. But I truly believe that. So when you're ready to have family, when you're 70% ready, I think that's when you start. But at the same time, you've got to line out, you've got to outline what do you want to achieve in your military career and what do you want to achieve in your personal life? Yeah. And then you kind of have to chart it out. Not to say that charting it out will be perfect but I knew for the reason why I'm an older mom so you know I'm in my 40s and I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old is because I wasn't ready in my 20s to be a mom I wanted to do other things I wanted to achieve certain milestones in my career Mm -hmm. company command being one of those things Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't think it would take me as long you know three deployments kind of changed up that timeline Mm -hmm. Um, 
I had some fertility issues that I had to go through as well. But for sure, I think I knew what I wanted. So I knew that in order to achieve what I wanted in my career, I gave my career the focus and not starting a family. Yeah. And as, and I can only say for officers on that side of the house, there are key jobs that you have as an army officer. If staying in for 20 years is your, is your goal, there are certain jobs that you have to obtain in your career to be successful Mm -hmm. there. And most of the time we're staff officers, the other key times, if we're lucky, we get the honor of leading in a command position. Mm -hmm. So there, I believe that if that's what you want to do, the times in which you command, maybe that isn't the time to be pregnant, right? Either you do it right before or right after. Cause I feel like, you know, I truly believe your command, they're your family. They're your kids, if you will. Absolutely. And so you have to give the best to them every single day. And I think that's tough when you're trying to balance your kids, your, you know, the, the multiple hats that you wear, being a wife, an officer, a mom, and all of those things that you've got to do. So I feel like you, you've got to chart it out and figure out when, when are you going to bring in that choice of being family, if you will. Right. No, that's great advice. You're absolutely right. You, you do have to, you got to figure out what you want and, and go from there. Because if you start, it could, it can hinder you. You have to be focused and it's, I mean, hard. not to say that there aren't women out there that are killing it at being pregnant and being a company commander. I know that that happens. Right. I just look at it from the aspect of, you know, why, why add that stress to you? Right. Company command, or battalion command or any of those command levels, it's stressful. Mm-hmm. It takes it out of you. Um, and why not be in the best place mentally, emotionally, and physically so that you can give as much as you can? Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. That is very true. Great advice. Um, gosh, I, um, I'm just, I'm so proud of you. It's, it's amazing how far you've come and everything that you're doing. I'm just like in awe and it's just so amazing. Is there, is there anything that, you know, you don't really like to talk about because you're just afraid of being judged or it's just, or embarrassed? You know, I think, so I've recently, so one aspect I've, I've always shared with those that I mentor is never regretting things in your career. Mm -hmm. And there are two things that I regret in my career. One is standing up for myself when it comes to your annual evaluation, your OER. Um, Specifically, one specific OER was my command OER. I had just given up command at 19 months. Most of it was spent deployed. And I thought certain things of myself through that hardship. And I got a great evaluation. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. It wasn't where I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And in that evaluation, when I was giving, when I was getting that feedback from the commander, you know, I didn't say anything. I didn't say, Hey, sir, I disagree with how you rated me. It's a great rating, but I feel like I'm better. I didn't advocate for myself. I didn't stand up for myself. Um, and I felt like I couldn't because, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be the problematic person. I didn't want to be, you know, in my mind, oh, you're one of those women that likes to complain. And so I yeah. just, you know, put my head down, I shut up and I colored. Yeah. And so looking back, 
at the end of the day, I ended up being successful, right? I'm, mm. I'm, I'm a lieutenant colonel. I've got almost 19 years in and I'll be retiring at 20. You know, I, I have done the things to be successful. But at that time, when I look back, I'm like, man, what would it have been if I just said something? Yeah. Even if it didn't change my evaluation, but at least I stood up and said how I truly felt about what I perceived about myself either to get confirmation from my commander that yes, you are that good or be, Hey, you are good, but here's some areas to work on. And I think the reason why I walked away from that so upset is because I specifically asked, what did I not do well in so I can perform better? Yeah. I specifically asked that and I didn't get a response. I basically got a tap toe dance of how amazing I was. So basically I left from that evaluation thinking, well, you said I'm amazing, but that's not what was written. Mm -hmm. So I can only, you know, keep digging into, digging into, you know, what was said or what wasn't said and try to read between the lines, which is not a good place to go or do. Mm -hmm. So that's one story that I share. And then the other story is, you know, I opened up about it this past November. I've shared about it randomly. Like if, if the situation occurred, but I, I was very matter of fact with it. Mm -hmm. In my first deployment, I was physically assaulted by my NCO and I reported it. There was an investigation at the end of the investigation, basically, the, and because the NCO actually had was by a different brigade, um, that officer that presided over him, that had UCMJ over him, basically said that I'm going to recommend your brigade commander gives you a negative uh, report in your official file because your conduct on becoming an officer and because I emotionally couldn't keep it together. So in my deployment, my first deployment, I served as a convoy commander. I was on the roads every single day delivering fuel trucks that was brought out of Turkey to different fuel depots in Iraq. I I was responsible for over at times 500 civilian fuel trucks. We had four, you know, Humvees, if you will, with, with various members helping me out. Mm -hmm. And I was the only officer. Most of the crew was made up of males and I was the only female. And it was an MP unit that was tasked organized to me. And I was in an aviation brigade at the time. And that NCO, that staff sergeant towards the end, um, we just, I didn't realize that there was friction. I mean, I, looking back, there was, but I didn't mm -hmm. realize it. And in the middle of a mission, he picked me up, got in my face, used all kinds of lovely language with me, and basically said that um, I had breached security. Wasn't sure what he meant by that because I was in the middle of negotiations at the time. I, I was had, had an interpreter. We're talking with the Turkish fuelers, and um, he said, we have to get out of here. You're breaking security protocol. And he got in my face. He grabbed my arm and wrenched it behind me. I, I actually thought he was going to break it. That's how bad it was. And of course, by that point, I realized that he's in my face and he had picked me up off the ground with the, by the back of my vest. And I said some colorful words back to him, told him to put me down, get your hands off of me. I tried to punch him with my left arm, but I can't cause I'm right-handed by the way. I can't really punch very well anyways. And, um, he said some more stuff and then he threw me at the home V and then smashed my face and then continued to wrench my arm back. And this whole time in my head, I couldn't believe that he was doing this. 
called my NCO, my actual chemical NCO, who was at the back of the for- back of the convoy line, which was about 10 miles away and said, hey, get, get up here. When he got up there, he saw how distraught I was. And I just broke down when I saw him like uncontrollable sobbing, because in my mind, I couldn't get around the fact that a man had touched me in that way. And two, that an NCO had touched an officer that way. Like I was just in such disbelief. So the NCO that did this to me, he was like six foot five, six foot six, 200 something odd pounds. I'm five foot one on a good day. You know, so he towered over me. He had definitely more muscle and mass than I did. And I just couldn't believe it. I reported it. And by the time that report came back, I was just in shock that another officer didn't believe me because all his soldiers that were scared of him basically in their sworn statement said they saw nothing which was not true they lied on their sworn statement because after that event happened they all came up to me and said are you okay ma'am that was so jacked up what he did are you okay so it's not like they didn't see but in the sworn statement they all acted like they didn't see anything and so it ended up becoming his word versus my word and here's this 06 who i thought you know an officer would that would believe me that i was telling the truth because that's what we do. We're supposed to have integrity. Didn't believe me and said that because I cried, I didn't deserve to be an officer. And I was in complete state of shock. And when I came back from that and reported it to my senior officer, he was like, hey, what do you want to do about it? And at that point, this was, you know, that so that happened in September 2003. I got that report back in February, 2004. We are about to redeploy home in March. We were like two, three weeks away. And I was like, you know what, sir? At this point, I just, I'm so done. I just want to go home. I just want to survive the rest of this war and go home. And I forgot about it. I just suppressed it. I pushed it down and I forgot that it even happened. And I didn't call it what it was. I didn't identify that it was an assault. I didn't identify that it was wrong and that I had every right to cry about that and to learn from that situation. And so when I looked back and looked through my time in that situation, I of course thought of all the things that I did wrong. Well, I wasn't perfect enough. I didn't say the right thing. I must not led the right way. I must have not um, encouraged him to be a better soldier. So therefore that's why he did this to me. I deserved this. And it wasn't until, you know, recently that I just like came to grips with, no, he's an a-hole. He shouldn't have done that. He was wrong and he should have been punished for it. And he, and he never was. And so I, so I used those two things in my career of, man, I wish I could change that. If I could go back into time, I would change that. The rest, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, it has shaped me to the leader that I am today. I'm. I'm in disbelief. I am so sorry. Um, I know it's, it's absolutely, gosh, it just pisses me off because I, I was assaulted by my star major and I, um, you know, no one wants to believe that because no, not the star major. Um, and so you, and then you just push it aside, right? You just try to figure out, well, maybe I should have, said something else or maybe I should have I don't know all the what ifs or then maybe I should have but it doesn't make it any better and then you push it aside for years and years and then later on that's when it comes to light and you're like oh my god what you know what what did I do or why did this even happen 
I, um, but I'm, I think with me at least, I'm so glad that now I'm able to talk about it and try to help other people through it. And so I want to say thank you for talking about it. That way you can help other female leaders, you know, change, stand up for themselves, speak out and hear from you as someone who's, who, where you are today, it's made you into such an incredible woman. And I think that's what they need to see. And so I, I'm sorry, but I also thank you for, for sharing that story. Thanks. You know, I got to say though, you know, even with that, um, you know, I really cannot complain about my army career. Yes. I've had my fair share of bosses that were toxic and almost broke me that still caused me to second guess myself, to question my competency, my ability you know, when somebody shatters your confidence um, and your ability to think that your worth is worthy, you know, that, that, that leaves a stain on you, if you will. And, and so trying to work through that. But I will say that the most of my career, I've learned so much about myself, how to improve myself every single day. I've met some amazing soldiers that I had the opportunity to work with that helped shape me into thinking better, to being better. Um, and I've, I've seen some amazing women just kill it every day. Yeah. And you wouldn't even know it. If you actually talk to them, you'd find out that they're, they're stressing just like we are. And, and they have a million things going on and they are paddling so fast under, um, you know, under the glass surface of the water, but they just are amazing and they're elegant and they're graceful. And so, you know, at the end of the day, when I leave this uniform after 20 years, um, you know, I'm pretty happy with it. Pretty happy. That's awesome. I love to hear that. You, you want to be able to leave and not have such hard feelings because I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, I, I loved my time in, we are, we are all going to have that one boss that's just like, are you kidding me? And, and making you feel so bad about yourself. But then again, you know, all those, the good and the bad, now we are, we're here, we're here today and we're better for it. And it's just shaped us into these women that are strong. And I think that's what we need to do is just make stronger women, just bring them in and, and show them the way and help them through it. So that's really awesome yeah i mean at the end of the day how cool is it yeah i'm a i'm a badass you know i was in the army (laughs) exactly you know (laughs) at three tours to the sand you know um and all my friends are just as badass if not better than me so you know (laughs) there's something to be said about that it is we are surrounded by badass women and i think for me it's amazing to be able to talk to people like you that i've known since fort hood or whatever and to see you all transform and then progress and then now you're you know a lieutenant colonel and you succeeded and you you, you're a mom and just all these things so to be able to see people that I've known um for so many years to where you are now I just like it just brings tears to my eyes because I love it I think it's amazing on 
you're going to be able to retire 20 freaking years. Not a lot of people can say that. And so you are a badass. You are a badass. So thank you so much. I'm pretty that I get to call you friends. You know, I mean, you know, I, I know that um, not all of us do make it to retirement, but, you know, you've done some amazing things. And it's exciting and encouraging for me to see that, you know, there is success beyond the uniform, that my identity isn't tied to the uniform and I can morph from that and do something and still be just as productive and giving back to the community. So, you know, thanks for what you do because you are showing such an encouraging light that, that you can be more than just your uniform. So really excited. I appreciate that. It's, you know, for, for everyone out there, it's not easy. You're, there's going to be days where you're like, what the heck am I going to do with my life now? But I think as long as you surround yourself by people like Lieutenant Colonel Nunn, who have come this far, if you surround yourself by a tribe of powerful women, it changes your life. You have to, you have to surround yourself by, by people like that, by positive women. And that's, I think that's what helped, has helped me this past year, um, especially is by meeting more people that have like-minded, like-hearted, and who want to do more. And that's what's, that's why I'm, I'm still here. Thank you so much, Olivia, for being on here today. I, I'm actually really honored and, and I truly appreciate it. I'm excited to see what you're going to do after you retire. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited. I love it when, when I get to see people that are so close and get to do what they want to really do afterwards. Uh, is there anything that you would like to tell our listeners? Yes. First, thank you so much for giving me the chance to share my story. Super excited to see the growth and change and the next phase of your life and career. And if anything, you know, really lean in on your circle of friends um, and your family to really help shape and guide you and really lean in on the resources that are out there, especially in the veteran community. There's so much out there. And if you don't know anything about U.S. Army Soldier for Life, be sure to check it out. We're all, we have soldierforlife.army.mil as the website. And we have um, tons of resources that we push out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And we also have a podcast series as well. So definitely check it out. We're always giving out great resources. So, yeah, just excited that I got to share. And thank you so much again. Thank you. I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Truths We Hide podcast created by A Wild Ride Called Life. To find out more about our mission, visit www.awildridecalledlife.com.